Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Hey, Keely. Hey, Chris. Welcome to Heard It on the Sidelines. Heard It. Heard It on the Sideline with Shotgun Spratly. Spratly. Welcome back to the Heard It on the Sidelines podcast for a special Sweet 16 edition. That's right. Two Heard It on the Sidelines podcast this week with a basketball team somewhere they haven't been in 14 years. That's the Sweet 16 for you guys that aren't really good at math. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, double dipping into the March Madness Heard on the Sidelines waters with a special show and a special guest today. First, thanks again to Keely and Chris for the intro and to all of you for joining us. For any newcomers out there, the Heard It on the Sidelines podcast is a part of the Peristyle podcast family. On this podcast, we discuss what's going on at USC, but also try to pull back the curtain a little bit to give you an insider's perspective from the people around the Trojans athletic programs. Today on our episode, we've got USC Hoops great Sam Clancy joining us. Clancy is one of four men's players, well, three men and one dynamic 19-year-old seven-footer, to wear the Cardinal gold that have been named to the Conference Player of the Year, have won that award. So since this is the second Heard It episode this week, we're just going to jump right in with the All-American. Sam Clancy, former USC Trojan forward, the Pac-12 Player of the Year in 2002, two-time All-Pac-12 first team. Sam, thanks so much for taking the time to jump on and join us. Uh, Thanks for having me, guys. It's been fantastic kind of seeing this team and and how they've grown. And and you said you've watched this team. Um, So I'm curious to to know what your kind of thoughts on are on watching what this team was able to do in, in that that first weekend, opening up against Drake and then putting it on Kansas on Monday night and putting a 34-foot whooping on, on the Jayhawks. What have you kind of thought of watching this team over the season? I actually followed the team closely from the beginning, so I was able to see them grow throughout the season. And it's just amazing to see Evan Mobley right now. The, he's grew into you know, the beast that he is now. Um, he was always there, but you know, in the game, beginning of the year, he wasn't really taking over the games like that. And now you see that he's taking over the games when needed, but also the defensive presence that, you know, that is there. But also you can see, see that the team is just so much comfortable playing with him now. Um, last night, guys are making shots. You can see that with the way we're moving the ball, the confidence we're playing with. And it all really comes down from the defense. So when you have the best defensive team and the best defensive player in the tournament and arguably, you know, by far the best player in, in the whole tournament, I think that the sky's the limit, you know, it just shows that, you know, in the tournament time, uh, when the lights are the brightest, you know, who really shows that the play and uh, anything can happen. You know, you said you've watched this team throughout the season and seen how they've kind of progressed. Is it surprising to you at all to see, you know, how they performed, particularly in that Kansas game? And, you know, I felt like it was the first time where they really put, a, you know, a full 40 minutes together on the defensive side and probably about 36 minutes on the offensive side. They did start a little slow, but pretty much a complete game for them. It was their most thorough game, I, I think, all season and perhaps in the last decade or so. It, was it surprising to you at all to see them and, and how well they played this opening weekend? 
honestly, it, it's, it was not surprising to me because I know that what they did, they didn't do anything different than what they have done all year. Basically, they hung their hat on their defense. I don't know, Kansas scored, but 51 points or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, they all they had to score was 55 to win the game, or 52 points, you know? So when you're playing defense like that, you know, and that USC, they were one of the top defensive teams in the league all year. They just were missing the three-point shot. Mm. And it was only a matter of time before the shots fall, and they fell last game, and you see the blowout. But it didn't surprise me because even in the Drake game, if they would have came out and started slow in that game, you know, and really struggled in that game, then that would have surprised me. But the tournament is all about momentum. So you see these teams who go in, they win one game, and then boom, it's on, you know. The same thing with us. We won one game, and then the confidence through the roof, and you're, you're off, you're off, and you're rolling. You know, so that's what happens in the tournament, and it's all about momentum. And once I seen how they came out in a Drake game, and they played, you know, really good the whole game, I was like, oh yeah, they're ready, they're ready. <laughs> so it didn't surprise me at all that what happened uh, in the Kansas game. There's a lot of reminiscent of you know, kind of our run. You know, mm-hmm. Sim- a lot of similarities, the same seed and everything. Um, you know, kind of being like a, a underdog team the pac-12 even at that time we had four teams from the uh, we were the pac-10 but four teams in the pac-10 we were in the sweet 16 at that time too so it's a lot of a lot of similarities yeah i was going to ask you if you noticed those similarities but one of the ones that that i noticed and listening to you guys you had a, a recently had a rewatch with, with three of your teammates watching that kentucky game your sweet 16 game you guys talked about your defense, and you had this matchup zone defense that, 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 that someone on the rewatch said that Brian Scalabrini kind of designed at practice one day, and USC zone defense, something they haven't used a ton of this year, but has been super effective these first two games of the NCAA tournament, and they just seem to be flying around all over the place, and that's something you guys kind of mentioned in that rewatch. Have you noticed the, the way the, the defense and, and the intensity has kind of grown, I guess, in this moment of being in the NCAA tournament? I have, and I've seen quite a few games uh, earlier in the season. They were playing, they would play zone here and there, and they would struggle with it, and they would have to come out early because teams would just make a few threes, and then boom, you're out the zone, you know, and they weren't as active. And now I see that they they kind of put zone on a little bit um, with uh, Drake and everything, and but the second half, they really, they really stepped up their defense in the zone. And the zone just really makes you active. And a lot of players think like, oh, okay, we're in the zone, I can relax now. But on contrary, you got to be more active because you don't have a man there. You don't have a body. So it's a lot of things with our zone, too. And we were struggling with our zone throughout the year because you don't have matchups. You know, you don't have a particular man you're trying to figure out. And Scalabrini, one day, I, I remember he was just saying, like, you know what? Someone discard someone. You know what? Just make sure you have a man. You're accountable in your area. And we were athletic enough, similar to the team now, where anyone can guard anyone on the court. So as long as you had a man, we just wanted to keep the guards on the outside and the bigs on the inside. That's similar to what they do with, with Evan. You know, he just in there protects the paint. Anyone comes in there, he's just long. He doesn't even have to block the shot. He's already – you can't finish over him. You know, he, he changes up so many shots. So, and he can also move on the perimeter too. But th- that was a key to, to, our, to our success was that, you know, we really figured out our defense. And it was in the right time. And we were communicating and we were really flying around and – Watching, going back, watching the Kentucky film, like we made so many mistakes <laughs> in our zone, but and we didn't even know what defense we were in half the time. But being active and you know, one want, really wanting to win the game, like we can cover for each other, so it all worked out. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about your your that group from the 2001 team. How much chatter has there been, you know, group text or anything like that about this? You know, it's the 20 year anniversary of that run and the run this current group is on, making it to the first week 16 since 2007. How much in the last day or two or, or, or weekend have you guys kind of been chattering with each other about what this team is doing? You know what? Um, we really are a special group because I actually keep in contact with a lot of guys from from the team, and we we we've been keeping in contact ever since then. So when now, you know, maybe we're getting a little more airtime. It's 20 year anniversary, but for us, you know, I kind of I think that we feel like kind of like uh, it's about time. You know, uh, mm-hmm. we had some good teams over the years. We didn't think that it, I didn't think it would be 20 years for us to get back to, I don't know, Sweet 16 or whatever. Um, uh, but for me, I feel like it's about time and it's good to be back on the national stage and getting the publicity, but we can't really brag yet. I feel like <laughs> we got to win the next game and then we can really have some bragging rights, but I feel like we can get to the final four. I've been saying all year long, man, I've been saying, I've been saying, telling my people back home, back East coast, I'm a Cleveland boy, like, Hey, watch Evan Mobley. We got USC. We got a team, one of the tallest teams in the nation. We really can play, you know, we're going to do some damage. You know, no one was really listening to me. Everybody was disrespecting <laughs> me as, as, as usual. But, I will, you know, everyone's listening now and taking notice now. So, you know. Yeah, especially when you beat down a blue bud by 34 points. Um, you know, it was just a remarkable performance. I, talking to Drew Peterson earlier, I asked him, I said, was there ever a point you kind of looked up the scoreboard and said, wow, we're up by that much? You know, it, is there a time that you can remember during your guys' tournament run that, you know, where you looked up the scoreboard and were like, wow, we're up that much? Or was it just head down and focused the entire time? Honestly, it was just come out and fo- And the way we played back then, we were a pressing team. So we would come out, just jump on you, press, and get steals and, you know, try to, uh, you know, speed the game up that way and, and with our, you know, and with our defense. So honestly, like playing in those arenas, we weren't familiar. I wasn't, we weren't familiar with the, you know, NBA arena mm-hmm. and the scoreboard. It's a, you know, they got the big jumbotron is right above you and you got to look all the way up. So <laughs> we didn't even, I didn't even know the score half the time. I'm trying to find the score. I'm like, Oh my God, you know, but this is like at the end of the game. So really at that point, you're just so much focused into the game. I was, I remember watching the rewatch and that was the first time I seen the game. I never seen the Kentucky game since I played. Yeah, uh, it was the first time watching the wow. rewatch, and we were up twenty, and I was like, "Oh my god, we were up twenty! I didn't even know that." Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know. <laughs> you know, even to this day, I just all I know is we won. You know, and that that's all that really mattered to me is, uh, you know, we won, and you know, because in tournament it doesn't matter because we were up twenty, and in one minute they can come back, and so it doesn't matter. You, you can't like rest and be like, "Oh, I'm up twenty now," because you're gonna be in a one point game in a minute. You know, so. <laughs> You really got to focus for the whole 40 minutes. One of the things that is interesting about the NCAA tournament and just kind of how it's set up is that you play on a Thursday or Friday normally, you have a day off, you play again if you make it to the second round. But then you have a full week off before the Sweet 16. You guys played in New York City, and then you went to Philadelphia for the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. Uh, This team, obviously, they're staying in the quote-unquote controlled environment in in Indianapolis, so they're staying where they are. They've been in the hotel for a couple weeks now. I don't think they're complaining too much about having to stay in the hotel with what it it means right now. You guys are having a little bit more freedom roaming around the city. What do you remember about that week between the opening weekend and then the weekend of the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight? For us, honestly, we had a lot of a lot of drama behind the scenes. 
it all started with, I don't know who makes the tournament and range. You know, we're all kids. So we're just going along for the ride. Mm-hmm. We, they put us at the, and we got the Philadelphia. They put us embassy suites. But before that, we, we played at the Meadowlands. And I remember my first time in uh, New York, we were walking around, and, you know, because we got the week off. So we got to walk around. And I had uh, kind of strained my groin a little bit. And Coach Bibby, he was just like, Sam, you just you don't you just play in the game. So I was really resting, just playing in the game. Actually, <laughs> you know, he wouldn't even let me practice that whole week. <laughs> he wouldn't let me practice. Uh, but uh, I remember walking around New York. We had all our um, after we had beat uh, Boston College. We were going through the uh, Sweet Sixteen and uh, playing Kentucky, and we're walking around with our um, got the uh, Fox Sports cameras following us, walking around with our USC sweatsuits on and everything, and everybody in New York is just killing us. You know, we're walking by the garden and they're like, oh, SC, you're going to get killed. Tayshawn Prince, Kentucky, they're going to kill you. Y'all terrible. Go back to Cali, y'all soft, LA. Everybody in the subway, everything. It's my first time in New York. So I'm like, oh, wow, everybody knows this. Everybody's just killing us too. And we're like, man, all right, okay. All right, I see how, I see how, they, I see how they feel about us out here, you know? And on, and on top of that, you know, we get there. So we stayed, it started, we stayed at the Embassy Suites and the, elevator broke so there was no elevator so we were late to practice and there was a lot of drama with that we had to change hotels and stuff and uh they finally changed us and moved us to like the four seasons stuff but at that time we weren't living we weren't living so so luxurious you know we were <laughs> taking one elevator and these suites and tournament and everything and but the biggest disrespect of all come from um i remember in the tournament so we were everyone was wearing the vince carter sh- shocks at that time mm-hmm. And we wanted them. And, you know, we were in Nike school and we were like, coach, we want the shocks, you know, we're in the tournament, you know. And the coach called Nike and they were like, no, you can't get the shocks unless you make the Sweet 16. Because they didn't think we were going to make the Sweet 16, you know. (laughs) They were like, we don't got to worry about giving them the shocks because they're not going to make the Sweet 16, that's for sure. You know, so when you watch the Kentucky game, we've got our new shoes on, the shocks are like a, you know, like a young AAU team came out there with our new gear on. (laughs) completely disrespected in New York, completely disrespected by Nike. So we had a huge chip on our shoulder. So this is what we were dealing with, like coming up into the game. So it was only right for us, rightfully for us to go out there and, you know, put a whooping on Kentucky that we did, you know, just the way that they were disrespecting us behind the scenes. So from that, Isaiah Mobley, after the the game, said that, you know, facing Oregon is, uh, he didn't want to say that they got lucky, but he said they stole the Pac-12 championship. So obviously that's going to be some bulletin board material. Now I think USC has obviously got the chip on their shoulder from, you know, not having the most wins in the Pac-12, but not winning the Pac-12 regular season title. Oregon's now going to have a chip on the shoulder from these comments, but also from, you know, the fact that USC, you know, handled them the first time that they met. How does that momentum work? You know, when you're in the, in this week where there's a lot of downtime as well, how does that momentum carry over into a game that's going to be next uh, Sunday? Well, for us, it's completely different because there was no social media. So we didn't have to deal with like what you guys are saying uh, on the podcast, what the fans are saying, what everyone's saying about us. So there's none of that. It was just completely in our room playing the games. And we didn't even know what was the outside world was thinking. We only could know about the game, you know, so it was completely different. I can only imagine what these guys have to go through now in the bubble and reading everything on social media. But as far as me, it's bulletin board material. That that's, that's all it is. It's, that That's just for fans to talk about for the hype your team up, rah, rah, rah. But if you're not if you're not ready at this point in the season and you gotta get excited about what Evan Mobley or what Oregon said, then you know what? You you shouldn't belong you don't belong on this stage. So that's how I look at it really. 
I think both teams don't need any extra motivation. If you're playing for the, the Elite Eight, I know how they felt because when we played against Kentucky, if UCLA was playing against Duke, and if they were, if we were like rooting for UCLA. I was like the biggest UCLA fan <laughs> in the world at that time because we would have played UCLA instead of Duke in the uh, in the Elite Eight, you know. So I, I I understand, but the rivalry is good. I think it's going to make for a great game. I'm looking for us to go in there and continue dominating uh, like we have been. But Oregon is not going to be easy. You know, uh, I don't think we can rest and be like, oh, we beat Kansas by, by uh, you know, 30 points. Because Kansas, honestly, they were shorthanded. Mm-hmm. They were dealing with a lot of COVID stuff. So you can't really look at that like that's, you know, a strong Kansas team. You know, that's not. So you got to just take that and just, okay, we won that game. Now we're on to the next. Only focus. But I, I don't think about the bulletin board stuff. I don't think Evan needs any more motivation. But I just don't want – I just want to see him be a player that – because you don't know what type of player he is. Some players can talk trash and that motivates them. Or other players, they hear this stuff and, it, you know, it kind of puts them in a shell. So I hope that that brings out the, you know, the dog in him, the beast that he's been showing all year and that he continues dominating and, and, and performing like he has been. One of the things with the bulletin board material is that now it's now in, in the current era is it's more message board material for the fans to go on rather than the players, uh, especially like you talked about it, it. It's a chance to go to the lead eight. I don't, I don't think you you need anything else to motivate you there. But the time leading up to it, they've now got I think five or six days to to lead up to the the game. What was the toughest part about the downtime? You know, you guys traveled from city from New York City to Philadelphia, even though that's not a very long jaunt there. But you know, dealing with the hotels, you got some other stuff going on. But as far as just the downtime with you know having a practice a day, how do you kind of deal with that when a lot of college athletes aren't used to being away for a full week like like they are right now? Honestly, like Coach Bribby, he kept us on a on a tight chain. Like we couldn't, like I said, I I, I didn't practice all week. Coach Bibby is more of an NBA coach anyway, so mm-hmm. we weren't really practicing. Uh, we got to that point. We already did all the practicing. You know, if you got to practice at this point, you you don't you know you know what you know. Come just come ready to play. He was like that. You know, like you you got any little injuries, tweak, you're good. Just come ready to play. But I remember the trainer had to give us um, sleeping pills. And this is the first time because it's very difficult to sleep, and you're just gonna stay up all night, like thinking about the game, and you can't really sleep and. You know, I just remember sitting in the room, just really watching the CBS. All you could watch is this TV and, uh, you know, just, but just really being bored. We don't, we couldn't do much and uh, just sit, really sit around the hotel. And that's the best thing for the guys to do is just really sit around the hotel and just try to wait for the game, game to come and focus on that. But I can only imagine what they're going through because they, I don't know if they're on complete lockdown. They can't really go out like a normal, you know, like a normal life. They're in like a bubbles type mm-hmm. situation. So it's much more difficult than what we were going to, you know, we could still go out, you know, at least go for a walk and everything, but we were on lockdown. We couldn't do anything. So it was just like, really your life is just hotel meals, film practice, you know, sleep and then repeat, you know, you don't, we, we weren't, we couldn't do nothing else. We weren't hanging out. So that, that's all we could do. Did you guys get a little bit of reprieve from the, the classwork at all from your professors during that time? Yeah, the funny thing was, um, you know, like you said, we were we were in the East Coast region, so we were in uh, New York first. We went to Philly, so we were gone for two weeks, and this was like right before nine eleven. So old, my goodness! So this is right before nine eleven because it was in March. So when we came back to 
LA when we arrived back, there was like, we didn't know. We didn't know. It wasn't social media. So we didn't know what we had did. We didn't know like that LA was going crazy about us. We didn't know anything, you know? So we come back off the airplane and we were taking commercial flights, you know, <laughs> we were to come off the airplane, you know, uh, like in the morning, like drug. And then we could wait to come out to like a thousand people just waiting for us at the tarmac, you know, you could, you can come actually to, to the gate at this time. So there was like so many fans waiting for us and, so that was like one of the biggest memories, like, whoa, like, oh my goodness, like, what do we, <laughs> what do we really do? So we didn't really knew, know what we did until we got back to LA to everything finished, you know? But yeah, when we were there, it was just all about like, just focusing on here. But I mean, honestly, it was one of the best, the best basketball times in my life. And just a great accomplishment because everyone has to come together. Like when you're in a tournament, like if you watch it in the games, like, guys who haven't made a shot all year like hitting shots and you know everyone's like we were making behind the back pass alley-oops the dunks and stuff like what are we what's going on here right the globe trotters <laughs> we're the best team all of a sudden you know all of a sudden we're everything is clicking this play hasn't worked all year now we're getting dunks off so in a tournament it's like kind of it is magical because stuff like that happens and it clicks and then the, at the same time fast forward to the next year when everything goes bad it goes terribly wrong mm. you know so it works. It works in both ways. That's just the tournament how it works, and that's why it makes for exciting basketball. And this year, it's like wide open. So I think this is the year for a mid-major to come in there, or why not USC to come in there and take a national championship? It's not us and who, you know. Come on. It'll be interesting to see if they can get past Oregon. the The next team could be Gonzaga there, and that's a team that has been undefeated all season. Can USC potentially or Oregon be the team to stop their run at that undefeated title? You as a post player, what have been your general impressions of watching the Mobley brothers? You talked about how players step up and guys that haven't been making shots suddenly make one. Isaiah Mobley, in the regular season, he was seven, I think, of twenty four on three pointers. He was 9-10 to start on three-pointers in the Pac-12 tournament and the first two games so far before missing one in the second half. So he's 9-11 of on three-pointers in the postseason. How difficult of a matchup do those two guys present, especially if Isaiah knocks down a couple threes like he's been doing recently? I think I've been saying all year long that Isaiah Mobley, he was really the X factor for the team. You know, a lot of the – you know, Evan gets all the headlines as, mm-hmm. as well as he should, you know, but Isaiah really like, and for me, it all came down to when he, when he could slow down. Cause I seen in the early in the season, he would kind of rush in his moves and he wasn't kind of sure of himself. You know, as a young player, you got to have to get sure of yourself, sure of your role. You have to get confident. You have to go through a lot of stuff to be able to, to perform, you know, and consistently every day, every game, that's the hardest part of the young player. So I seen him go through this maturity process. And he all he got the great form. And far as a basketball player, it's all about confidence. Like mm-hmm. even as me, once I realized that I had the confidence, and I was like, I thought that I was better than these players, and I could play better, even if I really wasn't. I thought that I wasn't. I played better. You know, I see that his confidence now is he's like, oh, I made his first shot. And when I seen him make his first shot, I was like, oh yeah, here we go. <laughs> he's where here we go. This is all we need for him to make that first shot because as a basketball player, once you make that first shot, the basket's huge. You, you just feel so much differently than if you brick it off the side of the rim the first time, you know, it's just a big mental thing, especially if you're not, you know, so for him to play well, it was big for us. And also that's the beauty of the tournament. It doesn't matter anything you do before now, you know, so it doesn't matter. Oregon state, who cares what they did earlier? No one, nobody saw they, they lost in a, 
you know, December, nobody cares about that. It only matters what you do now and how you're playing at the end of the season. If you didn't make a shot all year, no one cares. It only matters if you made that last one, if you made that big one for us now. So, I mean, I just see that he's – I really feel happy for him because I feel like he's increasing his stock because you're on the big mm-hmm. stage. You have to play big on the big stage. And if you, he continues to make these shots and the way Evan's playing, the way they play defensively, I, I don't think anyone can stop him. And he doesn't even have to make the shot. He just has to make them think that he's going to make it. And then he can drive past them because he's so versatile. You understand? So he doesn't even got to make it. He just got to make them, them them honor it, the other big guys, because the other big guys are too slow-footed. They can't – where there's a huge matchup problem everywhere. Mm-hmm. But not only the Mully brothers. I want to give some respect to I, – I, I love uh, – uh, Goodwin coming off the bench, he yeah. just brings so much energy. So for me, this is a great mix of the Mobley brothers with the skill and then energy guys with Isaiah White and uh, Goodwin coming off the bench. This is a great matchup. So, you know, and also we're just so long. So I really love that the, how the team is, is put together. You know, I think we're going to be a tough out, you know. Yeah, I've talked about this. I had Chris Capco on earlier in the season. I I gave him some love for the way that the the coaches have put together the roster just because it just seems like all the pieces can fit together. And we've actually seen that happen in the last couple weeks, it feels like, you know, especially in this run. And the one thing to note from what you said was the confidence factor. And Isaiah Mobley just said a couple days ago, he said, when this team plays, when, when we all play with confidence, he doesn't think they can be beat. And you saw it, I think, yesterday, not only Isaiah Mobley, which I think he's playing with a ton of confidence right now, just like you said, but Ethan Anderson. You see the turnaround jumper in the middle of the lane. You see an Isaiah White knock down three threes when you know he's, he usually only shoots one or two uh, per game. It, it just seems like everyone knows their role right now, and maybe it took a little while. It took a little extra time. We talked about that with Drew Peterson, just taking a little extra time with the COVID and everything this season and putting this roster together, but seems like everything is going in the right direction. Everyone seems to know what they're doing, and they're playing with confidence at the exact right time of the season. Well, here's the difference in playing in a tournament and playing in the regular season. It's like if you play in the regular season, you have another game. Like they play Thursday. They got another game on Saturday. Mm-hmm. You're not going to go 120% on Thursday. I mean, it's just human nature. You want to, but it's not going to happen. You understand? They're playing right now do or die basketball. You understand? So they're playing for their life. If they know if they lose, both teams are. So they know if they lose, they're going home. There is no tomorrow. So that's why the tournament is the best, you know, basketball that we have because it's one game, do or die. There is no tomorrow. So you see teams go all out in every possession. So that's what you see for SC. They're they're not even thinking about, whereas before the coach might be like, don't shoot that shot. You just missed two of them. Now they're out there pulling it because like I got to make it because I'm going home, you know? And they're shooting with more confidence than they would be in, in the regular season, if you if you understand what I'm saying, because mm-hmm. now it's like pressure goes both ways, you know, either bust pipes or it makes diamonds, you know what I'm saying? So you got to, right now they're showing that what they're made of and the other guys are stepping up. And the same thing happened for us too. Like Robert Hutchins came big free throws, uh, Jarvis Turner were coming big, big plays off the bench. And it seemed like everybody, Desmond Farmer come up with energy. It seemed like everybody who came in, came in, ready to play, knowing their role, and they played above than how they were playing in the regular season. And that's all what you need if you want to go on one of these Cinderella runs in the in the tournament. Is is it strange where you mentioned Desmond Farmer? Is it strange seeing him on the bench as a graduate assistant? No, that's my guy. That's my guy. That's my guy, <laughs> D Farm. That's my guy, D Farm. So what would it be strange? Like I would see I would see these guys over in like 
Argentina, for example, or mm-hmm. I was over in different countries and see like Jeff and friends. So it's crazy when you, you know, when you grow with these guys and you, you know, and you see them in a different, a different country. So, but no, I'm very happy for Desmond. And I know that he's bringing a lot of value to the team and everything. And I know that he's trying to start his coaching journey. And I know he's been really helpful for the young guys. Uh, I've been keeping contact with them uh, pretty much uh, throughout this year and everything. So he's been keeping me tabs on inside tabs on the team and everything. And I know he's been helpful with uh, with a lot of the young guys because uh, he was a heck of a player and he's got a lot of insight to give back to the to the to the guys. Yeah, we had a really fun chat with him. If anyone's listening, you can put that in the queue as the next thing to listen after after this uh, podcast ends. The last week's heard it on the po- heard it on the sidelines podcast. It was terrific insight from him talking about one of the things was talking about his journey in basketball and traveling, coming from Michigan to USC, and then you know playing in the NBA a little bit, going overseas. You had similar, you know, you came from the Midwest, you came to USC from Ohio, and I had to ask him, you know, what sold you on, on coming to USC uh, from from being a Midwest guy coming from Ohio? What was it about USC that, that you wanted to be a Trojan? Honestly, I just really loved the coaching staff at the time, Coach Bibby and uh, Coach Miller, Sylvia Dominguez, how they sold the program to me. I knew that USC wasn't like a heavily known basketball school, but that didn't really that didn't really like matter to me. I knew that if I if I played well, like I it, I would get my you know I would get my my due and my respect wherever I was at. So I didn't really worry about going to like a you know a big basketball school. It caused a lot of problems with me, um, honestly, because I signed early. So I had a lot of problems signing early to USC. I remember being investigated by the NCAA for twenty five thousand dollars before I signed. <laughs> You know, because I signed early and they were like, hey, who's this all-American kid signing early to USC? Like, early, wait, wait, they had to pay him money, you know? But I was like, no, I didn't get paid any money. I, got, I just really came for the program. And honestly, I just, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, and I was just done with the, the brutal winners and coming out to L.A. <laughs> for the first time. I'm like, you know, this is the place for me. I got I to gotta come out here and see how they're living out here. But also the situation has worked for me. Um, at the time I came in, we had a lot of bigs, but Coach Bibby, he promised me, he's like, hey, if you work hard, you got a spot to play, you know? And at the time we had the, like one of the top five recruiting class in the nation, something like that, top 10, something like that. So I was like, you know, I'm all, I'm all aboard. And uh, I only took one visit, honestly, that's what caused a lot of problems. And I came here and I was on campus and I'm like, you know, I just fell in love first day. I'm like, Kelly, that's where I need to be. I, I can't do Cleveland too much. You know, I come back to visit. <laughs> in, I'll come back in June, July, but I can't do you know December and stuff. I can't do that. Yeah, so, be- but everything worked out. You know, everything worked out great. I have no regret. I mean, everything worked out better than I could have ever anticipated. Honestly, you were drafted by the 76ers. Unfortunately, an injury you know cut things short there. Signed with the Trailblazers. Never played in the NBA game. How big of a you know is a disappointment or a regret is it that that happened? I know you played in a bunch of other places, but just to be able to play in one NBA game, what would that have meant for you? Honestly, like I never had like a, it wasn't for me NBA or bust, you know, okay. it was always like, it wasn't, it was just more like coach, coach Dominguez. I'll never forget what he said, you know, shout out to coach Dominguez is like, he's defensive genius and Sylvie Dominguez. And he said, he was like, you know what? Worry about now, worry about being the best player you could be now. Don't worry about being like, how are you going to be in the NBA if you get there or how are you going to worry about being the best college player you can be? You know, so that's all I really used to worry about was like, you know what? I'm worried about being the best I can be here. If the NBA work out for me, that's 
that work out. But if it don't, it, you know, it, it wasn't in the card. So I don't really have any regrets. It didn't work out. Yeah, I would love to play in a, you know, in a game and everything. But also I feel like that is more for the fans, my family to be like, yeah, I know what I am. I know Sam Clancy. He played in the NBA game. You know what? As opposed to me, I played, you know, I just, this is like my first March Madness that I didn't play basketball. You know what I'm saying? So you're talking about 20 year anniversary. This is my first year that I haven't played basketball since. So for me, I, I had a great career. It doesn't matter NBA or any, you know, so, so I don't, I don't really look at it like, I don't really look at it like that. You know, I, I had a great career, great long career. I traveled the world. I've seen things I never would have saw, mm-hmm. you know, had I, had I wish I didn't get hurt, of course. Um, but I'm not going to look, I never look back in hindsight. You know, I always try to look forward and try to make the most of the situation and everything. So that's how I always looked at it. You know, I think that what kept me, kept me going. Cause I think if I always was looking back, like, man, if I could be like this, I would have never had the long career mm-hmm. in place till 39 years old that I would have had. Cause I would always be thinking about, Oh man, back in 2002, I got hurt and I was killing everybody and I should be doing this and I should be doing that. And look at these guys here. And I'm, you know, like, I can't think like that, you know? So I have to like, you know what, this is for me. This is, this is what it didn't work out. We're here now and I'm focused on this because, uh, I, you know, I had a great career overseas and I, I wouldn't change anything. Yeah, you played in a number of different countries. Um, you, you ended up staying in Argentina for most of the last decade. What was it about Argentina that kept you going back down there? Honestly, uh, yeah, I played. I didn't even know, and I, that's the thing. I didn't, I didn't. I never even knew this stuff until recently. I ended up playing in like ten countries and four different continents, something like that. I didn't even know this stuff until <laughs> someone was telling me like recently. Now I'm doing like these interviews. People are telling me, I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that. Like. Oh my goodness. Wow. No, what happened was uh, a lot of economic things happened, Mm -hmm. for example. So like, you know, we're playing basketball like that. You're basically a, you know, like a, you know, hired contract. You're like a hired assassin. You just go and get buckets wherever they hire you at, you know, basically. (laughs) So Europe, you know, so Europe, uh, they had a recession and then South America, everything was start was rolling down there, but also going down there, they kind of, the people kind of revitalized my, uh, I'm going to say my love for the basket, for basketball, because when you're traveling like that, it becomes a lot of a business and you don't really, you know, it becomes more of a business than a love for the game and everything. But South America, they really gave me back a love for the game. And, you know, they kept giving me contracts and kept signing and wanting me back. So <laughs> I was, I was uh, happy to be back, but I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I love Argentina. Shout out to all my Argentinian people. Um, I love it down there, uh, and I had a, I had a, I finished a great career um, down there. Fan favorite down there. Unfortunately, last year with the COVID, everything kind of got shut down. I'm curious, and I asked this about Desmond, and he talked about the the economic portion. He said that I asked him, "What's the biggest life lesson you've taken away from the travels that you've had because of basketball?" Um, and he said, actually, one of them was to make sure you get your check, just because if a, a sponsor pulls out or something, you could be waiting around to try to get the try to get paid later. So, what what's the biggest life lesson that that you've taken away from your travels, meeting different people, different cultures, and everything? What 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 did you take away on the life side of things? I mean, that is a good lesson that Desmond said. <laughs> but fortunately, fortunately, I was lucky enough to go to stable teams that I didn't have to worry about chasing down my check every week, but I know exactly what he means. Um, no, my life lesson would be really, it opened your eyes. I would advise everyone to get a chance to, especially uh, young kids, to get a chance to travel and get outside of the United States, go anywhere, just because it's going to open your eyes. This is about how other people are living because I, 
I said before I left and before I left the country, I was so close minded. This is a person that everything was how I did it or how we did it. It was the correct way. And, you know, it was just really close minded. So I think that like, it really opened my mind and I, I've traveled all over the world now and been in so many different countries and met so many different people. And it really just broadens your mind to how other people are living. Mm-hmm. And uh, you give you a better appreciation toward how you're living and how well you have it here as opposed to them. And it also gives you, you know, I was just happier because I would see like in Argentina, for example, I would see the people and they'd be so poor and they would be so happy. And I'm like, man, why are these people so poor and they're so happy? And like, I know people at home that have like three cars and they're miserable. So I used to kind of think like, you know, I had to change your mentality when you see stuff like that, you know? And also tell me to be more, you know, when you travel in Europe, other countries, they're much more family oriented. It's still about the society and everything. So it's just the tidbits of had the different differences and everything. But I also try to take back the best and, and, and implement it in, in my life, but, but it changed me a lot. And also about my diet too, you know, you know, uh, the food is bad here. <laughs> you know, I have a better diet. I have a better diet traveling in, in Europe and, uh, you know, learning some of their, you know, their practices and everything. So I just learned a lot, a lot of different things that uh, traveling, learning different customs, learning the people. And I make sure I learned the people, I have friends from all over the world. So that's, that's the thing that, that I, I would take away that, and that's the thing like that money can't buy would be my experience. Mm-hmm. The experience of traveling all the world, I've never imagined I would be like in Russia and Siberia, some of these places, you know. So the additional experiences that that money can buy that I would take away that that are like will last lifetime for me with me. Quick fire, favorite city? Favorite city? Oh my goodness, that's a great question. Oh, uh, oh man, you put me on a blast right there. <laughs> uh, I've been all over the world. <laughs> You know, my, I've been all over the world. My favorite city, I'll have to break it down. My favorite city in America would be Las Vegas. My favorite city outside of America would have to be, oh, I'm going to say Barcelona. Interesting. All right. I, I still haven't been to Europe yet. I've been been around a bunch of other places, but not to Europe. So maybe I'll put Barcelona on the list. Uh, Cape Town's my favorite that I've been to, and then New Orleans in America. But last quick fire for you: favorite food dish you hadn't tried uh, that you tried outside now has become kind of a staple. Uh you know what? I'm 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 a real picky eater. I'm a real picky eater with my food, and I, I, I never grew out of that. I'm still like a kid eating, you know, with my food. But I'm going to say that in Argentina, they have some, uh, you know, they eat a lot of uh, asado, a lot of beef and a lot of meat. And I'm not mm-hmm. really a big beef eater, but the way they make it, it's just so good. You know, and a good cut of steak here will cost you, you know, as soon as you go, they're going to talk about, we have the best beef in the world. That's good. Soon they're going to tell you. And it's true. But like, it's a good slab of beef here is going to cost you guys what the restaurant is like $75. But there it's like, you know, it'd be, you know, $10 and stuff. <laughs> But yes, I start eating a lot more beef and then they have some, and they don't put anything on it. Just beef is just, it's just delicious. So I would say, <laughs> I would say eating asado, I would say eating asado over, over in Argentina. Gotcha. Uh, thank you so much for the time. I've got a couple more just cause you know, we talked a little bit about the Mobleys after your elite eight run in 2001, you actually declared for the NBA draft before eventually withdrawing and returning to USC Obviously, the process is different now. The NCAA rules have changed. But what did you learn from that process yourself? That is a crazy process. Uh, I actually went to Chicago. Now they don't even play in Chicago. I played well 
you know, I, I probably could have went to the – at that time, it wasn't like a really a hurry for players to go to the NBA. Mm-hmm. So now it's just like a, a rush to skip college and go to the NBA. But at that time, it was – you know, it wasn't it wasn't a rush, you know. Shane Batty was a senior – you know, a senior. Like, we, you could be a senior and, and still – it was it was fine. You know, so I wasn't in, in a rush. So I tried it out. I don't have any regrets coming back to coming back to school because I, that was my decision. You know, I made all my own decisions. But I just learned. I I love the process, going through it and everything, seeing like the inside the NBA, seeing how it works, and seeing some of the backdoor deals and everything that you know that go on and stuff. That you know, <laughs> that's that's what I take from that process. That that you know, it's a lot of backdoor deals going on that mm-hmm. you know the public is not aware about that I was aware about that once I started to be in it. You know, so but it was an amazing process and everything. I'm not sure about now. Um, how they do it, but yeah, it's definitely different you know. now. Uh, and, and you know, obviously, everyone knows Evan Mobley's going. He's going to be a top three draft pick. Where he ends up may depend on who's drafting at that point. Maybe even the top overall pick. But assistant coach Eric Mobley, you know, in a recent report, you know, he, he said that Isaiah, along with Evan, will be entering the NBA draft, and they're going to see where it goes. Kind of is what he said. Not saying he's necessarily leaving, but that he'd be entering to go through the process, and obviously they can come back. There's some, you know, they're allowed to. If they don't get drafted, you're allowed to return to college. So there's a bunch of different things from, you know, when you actually went through the process. But from your experience, what would you say is the most important thing that Isaiah would need to learn in this process before making his ultimate decision, whether to stick his name in the NBA draft and keep it there or to return to school? I think, honestly, he's making the he's making the right decision. I think that he's on this stage that he's proven that he is an NBA player, and that he reminds me of a Boris Diaw type player. And the way the NBA plays now is they can definitely use a player with his skill set. He's only going to get better. He's what six nine. He's a great body. He's athletic. You know, he can shoot, dribble. I mean, tell me other players who can do that in the NBA. So I don't, I don't see like how it's different if you if he had to show more in the NBA that he he got to prove that he could do something better. No, I, he's proven himself enough. As far as my eyes, uh, it doesn't matter where you get drafted. What I learned, what I learned going through the process was it didn't matter where I got drafted at, you know, because you still got to perform. And as long as it's first round, you know, second round you have to make the team, but. You still got to perform first round. It's like if you look at the draft class, there's only maybe like two guys from the first round of my draft class who even made it. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not nothing's guaranteed. Nothing is first round or uh, just first pick bus, second pick bus all the time. So, but for me, the biggest thing even for Evan is that going to the right situation. You want to go to the right team, even if you got to fall in the draft. It doesn't matter. You know, you want to go to the right team, the right organization because some of these organizations are terrible. You can see by the players they get. You know, like they ruin good players and everyone's looking at, oh, this player's terrible, but he's a 20-year-old kid in this terrible organization that's been through five different coaches and what do you want him to do, you know? So you can see it uh, with a lot of these kids in a lot of these bad situations. So I just pray that he goes to the right team, the right organization that'll that'll build around him, even if you, and especially for Isaiah, if you've got to slip, but you want to slip to the Spurs, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to slip to them. You don't want to slip to... Sacramento, you know what I'm saying? Like, no, no disrespect to any team, or but you know what I'm saying. These, they, 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 these, they ruin careers. It's you know we've seen it done in every sport, football, basketball. You go to certain organizations, they're going to ruin your career. So you want to go to the right 
the right club where they're going to build around you and they're going to put you in the right position to be successful and have a, a good future. If not, you're going to be complaining, oh, you know, look at the kid, uh, Kevin Porter. Look, look what happened to Kevin Porter. You don't mm-hmm. want to go to – I'm from Cleveland. It's not a good organization. LeBron <laughs> left. You don't want to go there. You know, he gets out of there now, look at him. He's like a star in, in Houston because he's in a right place where they, they put around him. They know how to treat him. They know how to talk to him. They're good with young kids. They're going to take care of you. You know, certain places they're going to leave you, like throw you to the wolves. You're an 18-year-old kid. You got millions of dollars all of a sudden. You know, and they throw you to the wolves. <laughs> you know, the Mobley brothers are great. They have their father with them, guiding them through the whole process. They are lucky, you know, but the other kids aren't so lucky, you know. So they're going to be in a great situation. Their dad's going to be there to pick the agent out to make sure they're not going to be abused with the financial advisor because there's a lot of predators out there. Mm-hmm. You got all these kids all of a sudden don't, don't know anything about finances. And then all of a sudden he's going to get $10 million, $20 million, $50 million. Like, what's he going to do with that money? He has to learn what to do with that money, who to trust. And also, you know, who, who not to trust in his own inner circle. Yep. So there's a lot of things, but with the dad there, you know, they have a strong backbone. I mean, the kids are on a solid foundation. So, but for both Mobley brothers now, I mean, the sky's the limit. We're going to be watching them, you know, on TNT next year and cheering for them. That, that's how it's going to be. I think that they're they're definitely on the way. Isaiah showing out these first two games of the NCAA tournament, definitely improving the stock and showing what he's capable of. So probably catching some eyes there. Now Evan Mobley, named Pac-12 Player of the Year, Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, Pac-12 Freshman of the Year, first one in the Pac-12 earned those honors. Only the second one a major conference, along with Anthony Davis. He was the first USC Player of the Year since. Um, What's the guy's – oh, Sam Clancy, that would be you. Is Evan Mobley helping put USC back on the map? And the last question, what is the key for this team to continue their push forward this season in the March Madness Tournament? Well, Evan Mobley is definitely putting USC back on, on the map. I've, I've been loving what Coach Enfield He's been doing great with the program. and got it, He's the best winning, you know, in the last five years, you know, best winning percentage ever. He's been having a program going up and up every year. But finally, we're doing it in the tournament. And he's also been getting high draft pick. And also big guys. We're talking about big guys don't come, don't get our, the NBA's, that big guys are dead and stuff. But we're, we're pushing out big guy lottery picks after one after another one. So I got to give him props on developing the young bigs and everything and getting them ready for the next level. But I just think that Evan, he's definitely putting USC right back on the national stage. You know, I hope that we can stay there. Uh, I hope we get a strong recruiting class to stay there. But I don't think that we're done. And I think, it, like, to answer your last question, for us to continue, it has to all fall back on the defense. That is our mm-hmm. backbone. That's what we've been doing all year. If we continue to be the best defensive team like we were all year, if we be the best defensive team in a tournament, we will win the tournament. The best defensive team will win the tournament. And whoever wins the rebounding, if you win the rebounding and you – Play the best defense, you're going to win the tournament. That's how it works. That's how basketball works. The best teams who play defense and rebound win, win it all. So if we continue to do that, we have a shot amongst anybody. I don't care the name on the front, Gonzaga, whoever, everybody's out. You know, Duke, all the big names that I know are all out of the tournament. So it's like it's a free-for-all, you know. So we're playing for the name on the back of the jersey. We got the best players in the country, the Moley brothers. We, we got the best. We're playing the best basketball right now that anybody is playing. You know, in the tournament, 
I mean, we're only trending up, so I think it's just going to continue, but we have to lay our hat on our defense, and we can't come out next game and get pretty. We can't come out and be like, okay, we cool now. Let's go shoot 25 threes. <laughs> no, 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 no. We got to start inside out, ball with the Mobley brothers, get them going. They're going to find you, pass, get your wide open shots, get the ball moving, play unselfishly. And I got to give a shout out to the guards, Todd Eadie, Drew Peterson, Isaiah White. I got to give a shout out to them. They've been holding it down all year. They've been holding it down. I know that maybe they don't get enough publicity that they should, but they've been holding it down all year for the team, especially Todd Eadie making big shots after big shots. You know, I just think that, man, we're going to be a tough out. And uh, and that people know that. I think people are going to get scared and start to, you know, I think they're going to start having to take notice of USC, man. So I'm looking for defense to win us, win us the, this next game. I'm looking for the Mobiles to have a big game, and I'm looking for USC to advance. Well, Sam, we'll see what happens this weekend on Sunday when USC plays Oregon in the Sweet 16, their first appearance since 2007, trying to make it to the first Elite Eight appearance for USC since Sam Clancy and the guys took the Trojans in 2001. Sam, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate you jumping on and talking for so long with us about your career, about that special run in 2001, and about this year's team as well. Uh, No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Fight on. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Heard It on the Sidelines podcast, part of the Peristyle podcast family. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, saying thank you again to Sam Clancy, the All-American, the Pac-10 Player of the Year. Just a terrific player, terrific interview there. Thank him for joining us, and thanks to all you for listening. We hope you'll be back to join us for the next episode of the Heard It on the Sidelines podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.